All right, so uh, Brian is obviously gone tonight. Um, so I thank you all for allowing me to share tonight. I can't promise that I will go into the depth of things that Brian normally does, but my hope is tonight that you'll be informed, challenged, and perhaps even convicted by what I'm sharing. Okay. Um, I know that I was convicted, and if no one else benefits from it except for me and what I learned through preparing this, then I, to me it's still a win. And so, yeah, here we go. Um, as you know, there are many different personality tests, different predictors of who people are. There's the Myers-Briggs test. There's the Enneagram, which that could be a whole other discussion for another night. There's the DISC assessment. Uh, there's the Strength Finders assessment. There's literally hundreds of them, I'm sure, out there. But while I don't 100% subscribe to the validity of all these tests, I can say for certain that throughout college and my work life, the test that I've taken, one predictor that consistently shows up is that I'm always gravitating towards relationships and building relationships. And the qualities or strengths that are usually lower on my list tend to be the analytical, the studious, the scholarly qualities. And it probably showed in my GPA throughout college and high school. But uh, and you'll probably see this in the way that I share tonight, that I don't get so scholarly as much as relationship style <coughs> presenting. So tonight we're going to be talking about technology and media, uh, the awakening or the fall. Tonight I want to attempt to tackle a topic that has been on my mind now for quite a while, but was brought to the forefront again uh, several months ago via a podcast that I had listened to. Uh, it's the King's Hall podcast, which some of you are very familiar with. And so some of the stuff that you hear is, is content from that. But they discuss digital media and the effects that it has on people, the effects that it can have on people, and what we should be doing about it ourselves. Um, not only not only for ourselves, but also for our children, for our grandchildren, and those around us as well. I think it's good to look at that. While their podcasts will be the source of, of some of my content, I also want to nerd out a little bit. I am a science major and graduate, so I'm going to nerd out a little bit on looking at digital media and the science-based perspective behind it. Um, so we're going to discuss dopamine, which I don't know if anybody has ever heard of that. But <laughs> we're going to... Yeah. <laughs> We're going to uh, look at that, how it works, and, and the roles that it plays in our lives from day to day. Um, let's see. So in the King's Hall podcast, they discuss what's called the digital matrix. So you'll hear that a few times tonight, and we'll be defining what that is as well tonight. I also want to take a look at what, who the driving forces are behind digital media and what their agenda is for the content that they put out there for us. We're going to talk about who the key targets of digital media are, how does digital media affect me? How does it affect my family? And how does it affect my relationship with God? How does digital media affect my role specifically as a husband, as a father, and as an image bearer of Christ? So I know that's a lot to cover. It seems like it, but I think we're going to tackle it tonight and we're going to try getting through there. So we're going to start off, though, and let's do a little digital or technology trivia to see how connected you are to digital media. So I'm going to show a series of pictures, and you tell me what it is, if you just shout it out, and then we'll do bonus points if you can guess what year it came out, okay? This is like, whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. They're all made up, but we'll keep track anyway, right? So, Atari. Atari. 2600, right? 1974 is your guess? I'd say 78. 65. That one? 65. That year? Yeah. So 1977, I don't know the exact model. I'm, I'm not techy enough to know that, but 
1977 is when this version of Atari came out. The next one? What year? So for all for all the young people, this is what's over here on the left? And uh the original Nintendo. Nineteen eighty five is is the data that I saw now. It's kind of grainy, but this is the game Zelda. Came out in 1986. Well, okay. <laughs> what is this? Game Boy. 90. 1990. Minesweeper. 1990 as well. I did, yes. I. <laughs> <laughs> PlayStation, yes. 1995 is when this one came out. Facebook, ooh. 2004 is what I, I put down. If anybody wants to object these afterwards, that's fine with me too. <laughs> This is the original, though. So this is Twitter. And the <laughs> 2006. Sorry. The 2007, the original iPhone came out. The iPad and Instagram. 2010. Couple, couple more here. Vine. Vine came out in 2013. This is pre TikTok time, yes. Apple Watch. 2014 is when the Apple Watch came out. TikTok came out in. 2018, D depending on which country started it first. So this is when it supposedly came to America, it was 2018. All right, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, technology is just flying by us. You know, it seems like technology has advanced a lot in the last 50 years. Uh, I feel like the last five to 10 years, it's accelerated so quickly that new technology is now considered obsolete. Um, who ever had a record player? Let's see a show of hands of who had those. Okay, who had a cassette player? A Walkman? Well, I know, but that's... <laughs> uh, MP3 player, DVD player, obviously we most have those. Anybody have Neuralink? Hopefully not. That's good. Okay, that's that's Elon Musk's. Yeah, <laughs> I had to skip a few things in technology. So, uh, so hopefully nobody has has Neuralink. So we're kind of all dating ourselves a little bit, remembering a lot of this technology and and social media. But but honestly, for me, I don't even care to keep up with how much uh, advanced technology has come today. 
and, and the endless list of digital media apps that want you to download and be part of their community. We are living in a time when the assault of technology and digital media on our lives is more than it has ever been. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I think it depends, honestly. So we'll kind of look at that a little bit tonight. I won't, have a, I won't have a lot of scripture that I'm going through tonight, but the first one I look at is Proverbs 5, 23. It says, For the lack of discipline they will die, led astray by their own great folly. There are many areas that this verse could be applicable in our lives. Discipline is important in what we eat, in how we exercise, in how we take care of our bodies. It's important in our daily walk with God, in our relationship with our spouse, and how we raise our children. Discipline goes hand in hand with self-control. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. I'm not sure if anyone realizes this or not, but we aren't born with this inherent ability to be self-controlled and self-disciplined. At least my children aren't, maybe yours are. If they are, I'd like to know what you're doing. It's a daily battle to fight my flesh. And to be honest, there are some days where I would rather not fight that daily battle and let my flesh just win out. But as image bearers of Christ, I must fight that battle for me, but also as an example for my children for my wife and for my family. 1 Corinthians um, 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As a father, I want my kids to grow up competent, contributing human beings to society, but more importantly, I want them to honor God with their bodies and to be image bearers of Christ. I think we have already established that that doesn't just happen on its own, though. It takes discipline. It takes instructions. It takes cultivating and guidance as we raise them. It means going through frustrations with them, spending time with them. I don't know why I got emotional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, it means going through frustrations with them, spending time with them, and and ceasing from my endless to-do list to give them my full attention and listen to them. <laughs> because in my short seven, almost eight years of being a parent, I've learned that kids are sponges and they soak up everything. I think we all know that. They are always watching what people around them are doing, and they are greatly influenced by their peers and the things people are doing. I'm going to make a shocking statement here that you're already already all well aware of, but big tech companies, um, sorry, big tech companies are well aware that you and your kids are greatly influenced by your peers and the content that you take in. This is shocking, I know, right? The crazy thing is that there is a plethora of research and data that goes into how they can target and influence you specifically, and the increase in AI technology has only increased that targeted influence even more. Before I get too far ahead, whoops, there was a quote that I liked. Children are sponges. They are going to absorb whatever is around them, so we need to be intentional about what surrounds them. The digital matrix. Let's take a moment to define uh, what that is. Um, and so, like I said, the King's Hall podcast, they frequently use this term called the digital matrix. So the digital matrix can be defined as the massive gravity of the interconnected online and digital world. 
and how this world is trying to take every part of our physical lives and transform it into our digital lives. This can be thought of through the way money is converted into a digital currency rather than using physical monetary form. The workforce being optimized and, and streamlined into a digital workforce. Conversation and communication being conveyed through messages, through email, and online conversations rather than face-to-face -face dialogue or even debates with each other. Think about all the shared experiences and core memories that you have had throughout life. Camping trips, sporting events, concerts, meaningful and challenging conversations, family vacations, and so much more. All those memories were created from a concrete reality. They are constructed from physical things that you have done. Now, all those memories might not be necessarily good. Some of them may be painful and you wish you could escape from the haunting memory of them. But good and bad, they have shaped who you are. As technology has advanced, this digital world has begun to take over and shape our lives, blurring the lines between our physical reality and our digital reality. While technology has definitely simplified some of our life and work processes, it has also created a myriad of potential problems and an escape from reality for many people. And that escape can become very addictive, perhaps even deadly. So there's a, there's a story of a 17-year-old boy. He's a Russian boy, and his name is Rustam. The year was 2015, and Rustam, like many other boys his age, enjoyed playing video games for several hours each day on average. But often in excess, he would play up to six hours a day of video games. So during the year of 2015, Rustam experienced what most would consider an unfortunate event. He broke his leg. I say most because to Rustam's delight, this afforded him the opportunity to, to have even more time to play his online games. He had broken a leg that needed to heal, and what better way to pass the time than playing his favorite video game? Over the next three weeks, Rustam's parents saw less and less of their son as he was consumed in his online game gaming only stopping for brief moments to consume food, use the bathroom, and take naps. After 22 days, his parents no longer heard the clicking and the clacking of his computer keys, and they went to his room to check on him. They found him unresponsive. They rushed him to the hospital, but he was declared dead on arrival at the hospital. He had presumably died from a massive blood clot in his leg, related to his leg fracture and the inactivity from playing games for 22 days. So, let's all step up, stand up, and do burpees real quick. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so this is quite the extreme story, but it shows the addictive behavior that can be created from an online world uh, where one can escape this physical reality. Interestingly enough, um, I did an internet search, and there have been at least 23 deaths related to video games between 2002 and 2021. Low number, but still, I just thought that was interesting that there's a documented documented research on that. So my gaming experience growing up, uh, personally for me, my parents never allowed us to have a video game system, and uh, we had we had a computer and we could play games um, on the computer. But yeah, that's why I knew how to, exactly that's why I knew how to play Minesweeper. Um, so we never had a gaming system, and at the time, I hated that about my parents. Um, but looking back on it now, I'm so grateful that they never did. Um, I, I can't remember on a handful of occasions, though, when we would have a sleepover at a friend's house. 
and they had gaming systems, and we would stay up nearly all night playing video games. Um, not only did I feel like trash the next day, but reflecting back on it now, I can see the addictive nature that these ga games held over me and how they were designed and are designed to give you a cheap and instant, unsatisfying imitation of the reality around you. Personally, I think that the main reason so many men today are addicted to video games is because winning in a virtual world allows you to escape from the work required to be successful in this physical world. There is little to no consequence if you die in Call of Duty or Halo. Once again, I'm dating myself with games because those were from my generation. Because if you die in those games, you just self-regenerate and you try again. It eliminates the possibility of having to put forth work to be successful. It eliminates the possibility of failure and you always win. So let's take a moment to investigate what drives the addictive process in our brains. So dopamine. Dopamine, what is it? What is it used for? Where does it come from? <laughs> dopamine is a chemical that's produced by our brains that plays a crucial role in motivating behavior. It gets released when we take a bite of savory, delicious food, when we have intimate relationships, intimate relations with our spouse, when we have an invigorating workout, and when we have successful social interactions. Think the extrovert high for all of you who are extroverts. Dopamine basically rewards us for beneficial behaviors, creating a dopamine rush. Dopamine is a feel-good neurotransmitter. And in a healthy dose, it motivates us to repeat those behaviors. There are four major dopamine pathways. Most drugs will give you that dopamine rush, yeah, yep. Um, so the four dopamine pathways um, are go between different parts of your brain. One of them is required for milk production, so that's in females only. It's not in dudes. Yes, I know, that's a shocking statement. Uh, the other three, <laughs> the other three, mesocortical, mesolimbic, and nigrostriatal, are pathways that are considered reward pathways. They're responsible for the dopamine release in various parts of your brain, which in turn control behaviors associated with learning, habit formations, and even addictions. This hormone and neurotransmitter pathway was designed and created by God so that as we enjoy things he has created, we get that dopamine rush. So this is a good thing. What's interesting, though, with the dopamine pathways is that this pathway, when it becomes active, these, path I'm sorry, these pathways become active when anticipating or experiencing rewarding events. Specifically, they reinforce the association between a particular stimuli or a sequence of behaviors and the feel-good reward that follows. So every time a response to a stimulus results in a reward, the associations become even stronger through a process called long-term potentiation. This process strengthens frequently used connections between brain cells and neurons, increasing the intensity at which the cells respond to that particular stimuli. And with continued long-term stimuli, you can see how an addiction will occur. I want to ask a question. So how many of you have ever misplaced your phone um, and you started to experience a mild state of panic until it was found? Thankfully, with Find My Phone app, some of you never have to experience this. I won't mention any names, but 
<laughs> so one study indicates that 73% of people have experienced this unique anxiety, which makes sense considering most U.S. adults today spend an average of two to four hours a day on their phone, which in my opinion, that seems like a low number, two to four hours for an adult. Uh, most of us have become so intimately entwined with our phones that sometimes we even feel that our phones are vibrating in our pockets when they aren't even there. Smartphones and technology are a wonderful thing. Think about all the positive things that they have provided us with. Technology has given us modern transportation. It has taken us to the moon, maybe. We won't, just, you know. <laughs> we'll see about that. I'm not sure what this slide is. Um, there's the modern conveniences like the microwave, the radio, satellite, internet, and much, much more. Think about going on vacation. We no longer have to carry these large roadmaps that we have to go turn pages, find the right state, or MapQuest, if anybody remembers that, whenever you go someplace, you print off exactly the directions of where you're going. We no longer have to use a dolly or a hoist to record family vacations now with those massive video cameras. That were, that's what we had as a, growing up as a family, with this huge video camera that you basically carried around on your shoulder. Um, let's see. Navigation has been made possible in the palms of our hands with GPS and Garmin devices, which are become, have become obsolete now too. Computers the size of entire rooms can now be carried in our pocket as a phone, or in a bag as a laptop, or as an iPad. It is incredible how we can use and do all these things in the palm of our hand. I wouldn't say that the phones themselves are necessarily addictive, but with discipline, self-control, and intentional plan, smartphones and the digital matrix can become a life support that we can't disconnect ourselves from. Without wisdom, it can cause destruction and folly. Now at this point, I don't want you to think that I'm a complete technological Luddite. This would be considered one who dislikes new technology and avoids it as much as possible. I would agree that I'm not overly enamored by new technology, but I'm also not completely for avoiding it or getting rid of it. As I've already stated, technology with boundaries and self-control can be a good and wonderful thing. So there's a book called Digital Minim Minimalism by Cal Newport, and I must admit I haven't personally read this book. It's on my reading list to do. But the synopsis that I gather from the reviews and from the quotes is that the digital matrix is no dummy. That's the Aaron Fellows interpretation of what this book would be. As I've previously touched on, the creators and ongoing producers of social media giants, they've done the research. And just like a drug, just like a drug addict, they know how to keep you coming back for more and more of your dopamine-laden fix. Cognitive neuroscientists have shown that rewarding social stimuli laughing faces, positive recognition by our peers, likes, and messages from loved ones, these all activate that dopaminergic pathway that a cocaine addict gets when they do a hit of cocaine. <laughs> these scientists have, have done research on your dopamine neurons that they call Reward Prediction Error Encoding, or RPE. These prediction errors serve as a dopamine-mediated feedback signal to your brain. If you've ever played the slot machines at a casino, which I'm sure none of us ever have, you've experienced the intense anticipation as the wheels on the machine are spinning on the screen. The moments between the lever pull or the button push, the outcome, so the moment, the moment between the lever pull and the outcome provide time for our dopamine neurons to build and increase their activity, 
creating a rewarding feeling by just playing the game. But as negative outcomes accumulate, there becomes less dopamine activity, which encourages us to disengage from that activity that we're doing. Thus, the producers of these games at casinos must maintain a balance between positive and negative outcomes to keep our brains engaged. Much like slot machines, social media apps take advantage of the same dopamine-driven strategy. They implement a, re a reward pattern optimized to keep you engaged as, mus as much as possible. A psychologist in the 1930s named B.F. Skinner performed some experiments known as the Variable Rewards Schedule. In these experiments, Skinner found that mice respond most frequently to reward-associated stimuli when the reward was administered at a varying number of responses, precluding the animal's ability to predict when they would be rewarded. While humans are more intelligent than mice, most of us are, I would say, we are also no different in many of the patterns that we ourselves do. If we perceive a reward to be delivered at random, and if checking for the, re checking for the reward comes at little cost, we end up checking it habitually. If you pay attention, you might find yourself checking your phone at the slightest feeling of boredom, purely out of habit. This isn't by accident. It's because most social media platforms are free. They rely on income from advertisers to make a profit. So the more they can get you frequently and habitually looking at, your, at their platform, the more money they will make from their advertisers. Programmers work very hard behind the screens to keep you coming back for more and more. Let's look at Facebook, for example. Many of us have been, on, have been Facebook users for many years now. And when you, first, um, when you first joined Facebook, your notification center revolved primary, primarily around the initial set of connections you made, thereby creating a crucial link between notification and social reward. From there, you are hooked. As you continue to use Facebook and you join this buy sell trade group or you like that punk rock band or you add more friends and you join the 40th, 40th uh, reunion for your high school um, reunion event, your notifications become more and more. Yeah, never mind. After a while, you'll open the app at any time and expect to be rewarded with a notification. So when paired with the low cost of checking your phone, you have a pretty strong incentive to check in whenever you can. And the wonderfully addicting thing about our dopamine-driven addiction is that we can hold it in our hand at any time, essentially giving us an unlimited supply of social stimuli and social reward, which much like an addict, if left in the wrong hands, can cause grave consequences. Some consequences which, we may, not, which may not surface until years down the road. Has anybody ever heard of Gen Z? also known as iGen. Um, so this is the group that is born. Uh, so I, I, I found it multiple different places varying on the year, but this one says 1997 to 2012. Others said 1995 to 2012. Others said 1995 and later. Basically, anybody who's under the age of 23 is what I'm going to go with. This is the newest crop of college graduates who are entering the workforce today. This generation was shaped by technological changes, and they were raised on technology more so than any other generation before them. Growing up for me, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 16, and that was enough to make phone calls, text, kind of, if I knew how to use T9 Word, if anybody, yeah, <laughs> if anybody remembers that, and occasionally play Snake on my phone. 
Yeah, I know Kia. That experience is quite the stark contrast to kids today who carry the internet in their pockets and sleep with their phones underneath their pillow. So Gene Twinge, I think I might be, I'll say that that way, is an author who wrote a book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. Once again, I unfortunately haven't read all this book. It's, it's on my list to do as well. But I appreciate some of the quotes and the insight that she shares. Dr. Twinge noted that in a national survey of teens and young adults, there was a large rise in the rates of depression, loneliness, and suicide since 2011. Coincidentally, this is the same time period when more than 50% of Americans began to own smartphones. As she continued to research and study this, this uh, generation over the coming years, she also describes iGeners as growing up more slowly. They are less likely to have a driver's license, to ever have a summer job, to go on a physical date, to hang out with family, or to go and do activities with friends. They uh, are far less likely than millennials, the generation before them, to take risks or to try new things. They are less likely to try drugs or alcohol. And while they are less immoral, so she claims, they are also less likely to, to have a Christian foundation or be religious. Uh, Dr. Twenge is quoted saying, the more I poured over yearly surveys of teen attitudes and behaviors, the clearer it became that there is a generation shaped by the smartphone and the concomitant concurrent, I, I had to look that word up, I'm not smart enough, I guess, uh, the concurrent rise of social media. They have Instagram accounts before they start high school and they do not remember a time before the internet. She concludes that smartphones are not only reshaping our lives in general, but they are completely rewiring our children. And that was over 12 years ago that Dr. Twinge started noticing these changes in the next generation. Remember how I said technology is so, so rapidly changing that now today the original iPhone would be considered a dinosaur. Smartphones, the digital matrix, and technology isn't going away. I think we've established that there are many good things that have come from it, but I think it's necessary to routinely stop and evaluate whether we are using that digital world to bring us closer in our walk with God and to lead and to raise our family? Or have we become so entangled and enamored with technology that we have become distracted and become our own gods? What principles and qualities do I want myself but also my kids to live out? What priorities do I want to raise them with as they grow from the crib to leaving my home someday? Most importantly, I want them to walk in God's ways, but I also want them to be hard workers. I want them to be resilient when things are hard, to be generous, to be caring, to be fit, and to be active. If I as a father and Danielle and I as parents can dig in and start modeling these things to them now, if we can do the hard things now and stop letting the world raise our kids, then I'm convinced that we won't have the regrets for the way they turn out later on when they're living out a legacy that is honoring to God. So tying this back into the digital matrix, if my family is going to follow me, then I sure as heck better be modeling something worthy of being modeled and followed. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what's, what is God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You've heard and said, You've heard the saying, your input determines your output. 
So let me ask you, what are you filling your mind with every day? What are you consuming your time with? If you remember earlier, I said that the average adult spends two to four hours on their phone every day. A study from, um, oh, let's see, I'm a little behind here. A study from 2022 indicates that teens and tweens screen time usage has gone up nearly 17% from 2019. Tweens who are ages 8 to 12 are spending on average five and a half hours per day and teenagers, 13 to 18, are spending nearly 8 hours and 40 minutes a day in front of a screen. That number is absolutely mind-boggling to me. I don't know how, but it's, it's happening. This is screen time in general, so this is not just phone, phone time. But still, to me, that seems like a lot, whether it's in front of a computer, iPad, iPhone, whatever it is. Um, let's see. So, like I said, this, this number is boggling to me, but how much of that screen time do you think is, is taking in God's word? So for teens and, teens and tweens and adults, all those hours every day spent in front of a screen, how much is absorbing and, and taking, God's, taking time with God? For you adults, uh, how much time are you comparably spending in Bible or in prayer, just reading, compared to that two to four hours a day? I am definitely ashamed to say that there are many weeks where I don't even hit that amount of time in a weekly time frame, if I'm being honest with you. So I say these things to you fathers first, that it is our job to make sure that we are living out as the image bearers of Christ. Because I believe as the father goes, so goes the rest of the family. If it is our goal to pass on the inheritance of faith, yet we are allowing social media and Satan to catechize our children to the way we live and what we allow in our homes, then we are completely undermining everything that we should be standing for. Obviously, I think we are all targets of the digital matrix. Big, temp big tech companies, they want your money, but they also want you. More than you as an adult, I believe that they want your children too. I'm going to tread lightly here and try not to get off in the weeds with too many conspiratorial ideas but I believe that there is a bigger agenda being set up, being pushed, and being employed by some very wealthy people in this world. And while they may just be men, we must also remember that there is constantly a spiritual battle in this world. And it's waging around us, fighting for our souls and for our children. Ephesians 6, 10-12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yeah, so just, just a reminder that there is a spiritual battle going on around us as well. Uh, let's see. So let me, ask, let me ask you, is it easier to teach and make an impression on a child or on an adult? So an example here, if I were to try and convince Andrew that $20 was a lot of money versus telling my four-year-old that $20 is a lot of money, who would be more convinced? Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have picked somebody else besides Andrew. I am a simple man. <laughs> so obviously my daughter would probably be more convinced that the $20 is a lot of money. But why is that? Why would, why would she think that? And, and I think it's because 
Andrew has life experience. He knows what the value of $20 is and what you can or cannot buy with it. Um, my four-year-old, you could tell her she could buy a brand new truck with that $20 and she would believe you. What is my point about this terrible example? Children are naive because they are still innocent and they still have malleable minds and they don't have the life experience or wisdom to differentiate between the two. They are trusted. Yeah. Yes, they are. They are much more impressionable at this age. So, if I was hypothetically an evil oligarch whose mission was to promote population control in one world government, hypothetically, of course, I would consider doing it by creating an effeminate society of men, a generation of women who found no glory in having children or motherhood, and by creating such an overwhelming push for gender dysphoria that people would unknowingly sterilize themselves. All the while, it would cause the family unit to disintegrate, it would destroy the sacredness of marriage, and it would create an entire generation with a socially accepted addiction in the palm of their hand. If I were that evil, I would go for the children because they are going to be the easiest to target. But here's the thing. I'd have to, to be really sneaky about it so as not to raise alarm from the parents who actually care. And, if, and I feel like that is what the companies with an agenda have been doing for years now. So a common example, but it reminds me of, of poisoning somebody's food. Did anybody try the monster bars that I brought tonight? So what if, did you, did you enjoy them? Did you like them? So what if I told you that the secret ingredient was just a little bit of dog poop in it? So what if I said that the secret was it gave it the perfect consistency, but you had to add that in there? Don't worry, there's plenty of sugar, so you'll never taste it, but it's, it's still in there. So how would I go after your children? By slowly increasing the amount of poison that I put in my content. Not enough so it's apparent right away, but if I can make the material addictive as well, then most people will tolerate a little poison until more and more, until, until more and more, and then it eventually becomes their demise. And don't worry, I didn't actually put poop in these, just so you know. <laughs> so let's go ahead and kill some, let's go ahead and kill some sacred cows, shall we? So let's talk about Disney. Let's talk about Disney Plus. I know for some people this is this is a hard one. I grew up on Disney, uh, Disney movies with some restrictions, of course. Um, and it's just it's it's just hard to be a good hard to beat a good movie like Robin Hood or Fox and the Hound or Lion King or name whatever Disney movie you can think of. These were good movies, it seemed like to me at the time, and, and even today, I will let my kids watch some of those movies, to be honest. Um, if, so, if, I just want to shed a little light on something, if you've been living under a rock for the last few years. Disney um, probably doesn't have your child's interest in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard of the Disney Pride Collection? This was rolled out last year. Oh, it's fabulous. It's fabulous, isn't it? Yes. Uh, that seems to be a very God-honoring line of apparel, in my opinion. Not really. Since 2019, Disney movies have had more and more prominent LGBTQSIN characters, but now they're pushing these characters front and center. Uh, this is from the movie Onward, which I, I never saw, but apparently this was... <laughs> this was a, a transgender character. That's the arrow that's up there. That's what it said online. I don't know. 
I think we can all agree, though, that Disney has always had some questionable scenes or characters, but now they're pushing these characters front and center. What about uh, Netflix? Anyone recall a controversial show a few years ago that promoted and glorified the promiscuity and sexualization of young girls? Canceled, thank you. How about Amazon Prime? How about YouTube? How about TV in general? How about pop-up ads that are on our phone? PBS Kids. Our kids like to watch PBS. And then the show Arthur started having... Yeah. So, so just, just be aware. You name it, it's probably being... You name the company, it's probably being backed by a certain agenda. That's who these companies are, and we need to stop giving our money and our time to these big tech companies with antichrist agendas who hate us and who hate what we stand for. But to be fair and real and honest too, I get it. Parenting and raising kids can be very hard and frustrating. And there are many times where I'd like to just put a movie on for the kids so I can have some peace and quiet. I'd rather just give them my phone. And there are times where Daniel and I will turn a movie on, but we know what they're watching. It's just easy to want to hit the easy button and hand our screaming or whining toddler or teenager, if you're there, a phone to appease them, to get them to, to be quiet, to calm down. Dr. Twinge says you want your children to be happy, but sometimes you have to be unhappy in the short term in order to be happy in the long term. As parents, our job is to give our children what they need and not what they want. I believe this could be at age two all the way up to age 18. And I realize our goal as parents isn't just to make our kids happy. It's to mold them into the image bearers of Christ. And to make them move out. And to make them move out, yes. <laughs> While we as uh, parents and grandparents have all been guilty of times as using technology to babysit our children, I just wanted to share a few common negative effects that technology has on our children. Um, and like I said, I'm not completely against kids ever watching anything. But I think if you're going to do it, try and make sure it's a shared experience rather than a solo experience. For example, I know that here at Bible studying during late night hours, it's common for us to turn a movie on for the kids uh, while we adults talk, and I am totally fine with that. Yes, I know it requires more work in general, and it can maybe even be a little bit embarrassing at times when our children throw tantrums, but in the end, it is worth all the extra effort. I know for Daniel and I, when we started having kids, one of our rules was we are never going to give our kids our phone to keep them quiet, and we have stuck to that. And for any new parents, I would highly encourage to do that. It is extra work and it's hard, but the, the reward is so worth it from what we've seen with our young kids. So let's take a look at a few common negative effects of technology on our children. There's, the, like I talked about earlier, there's an increasing rise in depression, anxiety and suicide. Kids may feel like they are more like they have more connections and that they have more friends, like Andrew was saying, than they have ever had, but social media has created this illusion of meaningful relationships. Children are more are feeling more isolated, more lonely, because they struggle to make real life face-to-face -face interactions with their peers and with family members. Uh, we touched on this a little bit as well, but putting your kids in front of a screen is giving those corporations pushing the agenda, they're giving them a direct pipeline to spew whatever garbage they want into your kids' minds. Also, um, along, with, along with that, social media gurus and influencers 
may not always be the people that you want your children getting advice from. So just be, be aware of who they are looking up to, what they are watching, what they are doing. Unfiltered access to the digital world allows the influence from all these people if we're not paying attention to what our kids are doing. The digital matrix is sometimes like crystal meth, like a drug addiction. We talked about that as well. Has anyone ever gone down the dark hole of reels on Instagram, those, the shorts on Facebook or, or YouTube? You can just watch one and it comes up or TikTok and it just comes and comes and goes and goes and you get lost. They are just long enough to give you a little dopamine rush and that's what they intend to do. The problem with watching all these, with watching these all the time though, especially for children, is that after a while they build up a tolerance to that dopamine rush. And it either takes more to fill that or it sends them down a road of depression as they can't get that same dopamine rush and dopamine feeling. External brain syndrome. This was an interesting one that I had never heard of. But it's that we have the constant access to the internet, which gives us the illusion that we have a wealth of knowledge. You don't actually have to know anything. You just have to know how to look it up. So people um, don't have to memorize information anymore. Hypothetically, though, what do you think would happen to all the knowledge that people have if suddenly we lost all of technology? Uh, the social media and technology is making our kids weak. It's making them fat, and it's making them sick. In the mid to late 1960s, childhood obesity was at a rate of about 5%. By 2020, that number had jumped to 20%, and it's projected on the current trend that we're going to, that, that by 2050, 50% of children today will be obese by that year, by 2050. And 2050 is only 25 years away, so it's not, not that long. And I'm not saying that that's solely from technology, but inactivity and mindless eating are also definitely contributing to that. I should have. It's, that is funny because when I first saw Wally in theaters, that was my initial thought is that is America when they're floating around, sipping their huge big gulps, and yes, the TV screen right in front of them. I said this. Yeah, that was definitely a prophetic movie. Um, also with obesity comes a number of health complications as these children get older, so we're going to have bigger health issues there. Social media can also anesthetize our children, which gives them a constant dopamine drip, gives them instant gratification, and it never, never allows them to become bored. When this happens, they don't learn the art of getting along with others. They don't learn the art of being creative and being imaginative. And it teaches them that when things get hard, you just give up. The more we anesthetize our children, the more we erode their creative drive, ultimately hurting them even more in the long run so we can have a few moments of ease as parents or grandparents. So I'm generally uh, a pretty positive guy when it comes to ch when making changes or making, making new things happen. So don't be completely discouraged by this list of negative effects that I just went over. Because we can do things to limit the negative effects of social media in our lives and try and find a balance between addiction and a balance of total rejection of technology. So let's take a look at a few things that I think can be done. First and foremost, I think we need to examine ourselves. How much screen time are you allowing yourself each day? Remember that what you model and what you do, your kids are going to think that is how they're supposed to act. They're going to think that's the standard. 
With that screen time you are allowing yourself, what kind of content are you inputting into your mind? Philippians 4, 8-9 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. As a parent, one of the most hypocritical things that I can do is tell my kids not to do something and then I turn around and do it myself. I think it's good to talk to our kids about the dangers of the digital world and the and the reasons why we don't want them to have unfettered access to the internet. The digital matrix and now the continual advancement of AI has created a world where there are fewer and fewer safe spaces for our children. Danielle was showing me a video um, about how child predators can now use AI technology to steal the face of your children from common social media platforms and create artificial porn with your children. And this is really happening. It wasn't some sign, some conspiracy video. This is really happening. So I don't think that's necessarily something you need to talk to your children about, but in general, there are many people in the digital matrix who are only looking out for their own selfish gains, and so it's good to have these conversations with our kids. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let's not allow our children to be devoured. If at all possible, don't get your child an iPad. But if you do, use it sparingly for school activities or specific reading activities. Studies on children and iPads have shown that they are uh, that there is a constant dopamine drip for children. That iPads are. It encourages a lack of eye movement, and many times produces poor child development. Uh, it also prevents what's called the techno tantrum. Uh, when I was at work last week, I worked at the hospital when I was there. There was a, a six-year-old six, six boy, we'll say he was six, and he was in his grandparents' room, and he had an iPad, and he had headphones on, and he was playing this game, and he was just going and going and going, and like the world was oblivious around him. And so then he was just totally engrossed in it. And then we went to the next room, and we were rounding, and there was this two-year-old child in there that was kind of fussy, kind of whiny, and the parents handed him an iPhone, and instantly the child was fine and silent. But as soon as she took that phone away, the kid started throwing a temper tantrum like none other. And for us as parents, for Danielle and I, that's one reason why we never wanted to do that with our kids because the after effects are always worse when you give them something and then you try and take it away afterwards. And it's, it's not always necessarily the kid's fault, but it's because it's we're giving them that fix, that drug fix, and then we're quickly taking it away. Uh, so let's see, next one, hold off on getting your child a phone as long as possible. I realize it's difficult to not allow your child to have any form of phone, especially as they get older and they start driving. But there are becoming more and more options that parents can use for their children. Well, I personally don't have experience using it. There's an option called the Gab phone, which I think some parents have used, uh, which you can select what your child is allowed to use, simply just Calls, texts, no internet, not able to download apps, etc. There's, there's different things. Uh, almost every smartphone also comes with features where you can put restrictions or even limit app usage. Uh, there's uh, phone content filters as well, Covenant Eyes, Bark, Family Keeper. There's, there's plenty of them out there. These are all wonderful things to use for your kids, but
but also something that I would encourage you adults to use as well if you feel like you are having a hard time limiting your usage of your phone. Um, talked about this as well, but when your child does get a phone, let's see, that one wasn't. When your child does get a phone, remind them that it is your phone and it's not theirs. I thought this was an interesting one. Uh, there are too many parents that buy their child a phone and then the child takes ownership of it. But uh, I think it's important to maintain ownership of that phone until your child is out of the home and able to live independently. Also, I would strong, strongly recommend not allowing your kids to keep their phones in their rooms at night. It's just a recipe for bad things to happen. Um, and the last negative effect here, fight the temptation to hit the easy button. And just to plug them in for, for the convenience. This requires work, but I promise it will be worth it later on. And once again, when you do allow screen time, try and make it a family event and not just a solo event. Um, so just kind of in wrapping up here, I'm sure there are other beneficial things that we can do to limit the overreach of the digital matrix in our lives and help us turn our focus from our screens wholeheartedly back to God. So if you have more ideas or things that your family has done, I would love to hear about them uh, afterwards and we can share those as well. So just in closing, I just uh, growing up, I always liked the story of Joshua. When he was one of the 12 spies who went out, sent out by Moses to scout out the land of Canaan, he came back with a positive and a good report. Maybe I can identify with him a little bit. Um, I just feel like Joshua and I share some of that same enthusiasm and positivity towards getting things done despite the grim outlook ahead. But I love at the end of the book of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24, where Joshua is old and he's nearing the end of his life. He calls for all Israel so that he can address them. He's recounting all that Yahweh has done to give them the land, the battles, and the victories that they had won. But he also gives them a stern reminder of who their strength and their success had come from. He reminds them of the consequences if they turn back and if they follow the ways of the nations that they had driven out before them. And he reminds them of the consequences if they turn from God's laws, commandments, and instructions. I know it's an overly used passage, but I love how he says all these things to the people and wraps up by saying verse 15. Now choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe it's because I'm now a father and I'm the headship leading my tribe. But I want for me and my family to serve the Lord today and every day. Men, fathers, and husbands, I speak directly to you because, like I said, as, as you go, so does the family. God created us to be the bedrock of the family units. And Satan knows that if he can destroy you through wasting your time in the digital matrix, if he can keep you from paying attention to your wife and children, if he can get you addicted to a mythical reality, then he will destroy the rest of your family and any semblance of God's glory through your family unit. That evaluation and modeling of whether we serve God or the distractions of this world needs to start today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you love us. That you give us an example of the way to live our lives, to lead our lives. Help us, help us fathers, help us husbands, help us men to be men that love our families, that lead them and guide them. Thank you for your grace for when we mess up. Thank you for your forgiveness. 
<sighs> Thank you for helping us get through <laughs> these hard things. Help us to raise our children. Help us to live in this world. And we love you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Ah, sorry guys. <laughs>